Um, if we haven't met, I'm Andrew, I'm one of the pastors. Really glad that you're here with us. Um, I just feel like we need to start off this morning by um, saying thank you. Uh, thank you to those of you who have reached out over the last week. Um, if you were not here and you're not following us on social media, you may not be aware that last week we sort of scrapped our normal thing and shared with you uh, about a tragedy in our family. Um, uh, you know, Sam and Julie, who we deeply, deeply love, were 37 weeks pregnant. Julie went into the hospital, and unfortunately, they lost their baby, Renly. Um, and um, if you were here, uh, it was really raw uh, Sunday for me personally. Um, you guys know our story. Um, those of you who've been around, my wife and I, Grace and I, lost babies as well at birth in a very similar way. And so, um, quite honestly, I've been kind of depressed over the last couple of weeks, having just kind of walking through this with them. And um, your guys' outpouring of just love and support and prayers has been really felt and really appreciated. And as I was getting ready for today's gathering, I just wanted to make sure you guys understood um, that's not, that doesn't go unnoticed. And we so appreciate the ways that you have stepped in to pray for and support Sam and Julie. We opened up a fund, a lot of you know we opened up a fund for Sam and Julie and over uh, $7,000 has come in to help support them, which is amazing. Um, and that's because of your guys' generosity that all of that's been possible. And I was also just kind of reflecting on how grateful I am that I'm in a community of people that I don't have to pretend like everything's okay when it's not, um, and that I can be raw and honest with you. Um, and you guys have just responded by giving me a lot and my family a lot of love. So my heart to yours, thank you so much. Um, and with that, we also want to like always come back to the scripture and choose to anchor ourselves in the story of God. We are much, much more than just like these couple of minutes that we share together on Sunday. We are the people of Jesus and we want to just like immerse ourselves in the story and in the truth of God's word. So we do this every single week where we open up the Bible. So if you wouldn't mind, open with me to Matthew chapter seven. We are uh, several months into our series on the Sermon on the Mount and we finally made it to the last chapter. It's been really fun for me. We've just been going kind of line by line, verse by verse, trying to understand as best as we possibly can uh, Jesus' heart and message, what his attitudes, what his ethics are, and uh, it's been really, really great for me personally. I've really enjoyed it. Um, so we are going to look now at Matthew chapter 7, uh, verses 1 through 6. Uh, would you guys stand with me, actually? Let's, let's um, stand in reverence to the Word of God. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred, and do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you into pieces. That is the word of the Lord this morning. 
God, we just come before you now and we just want to say thank you for how you are always faithful to speak. And some of us walked into the room today actually kind of desperate for you to move with power and you to do the thing that only you can do, which is uh, like heal our broken hearts and also to give us a bit of hope for this coming week. But much more than an inspirational talk, we're actually needing to hear your voice and we're wanting to be transformed and changed by you. So help us to see your heart from these words that we just read. Just like it says in the book of Revelation, the people of God or the church hear what the Spirit has to say to his church. We want to be those people. For this thing from playing church or just taking part in a rote religious exercise, we want you, God. We're seeking after you. We anticipate and really kind of expect you to move here in this gathering right now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, guys, go ahead and grab your seat. Um, so how do we begin with a passage like that? Um, let me start here. This is the world that we're living in. We're living in the era of mean tweets. Yeah. <laughs> um, over the last couple of years, maybe you're familiar, if you're not familiar, Jimmy Kimmel, he puts his guests in front of a camera and then he has them read out loud into the camera the most horrifying things that people tweet about them uh, into the camera for fun, just, just because it's fun, apparently. It's not fun at all. It's actually uh, kind of horrifying some of these things that, that people say. This is actually some of um, Jimmy Kimmel's most popular bits on the internet. Each and every single one of these videos has tens of millions of views. Um, I'm not proud to say this, but I have seen a few of them. And um, they're extremely vulgar um, and whatever. I'm not proud of it, but I have seen a handful of them. I'm not recommending you do, um, but um, if you do, if you have seen them, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Um, so as I'm sort of reflecting on that and also just kind of looking at this passage, I'm recognizing that we just are living in a time where hostility and this kind of just like verbal abuse and hatred is the cultural norm. I was doing a quick uh, Google search to grab uh, the image that I just showed you, and I stumbled upon this one as well which I don't even know what that means. And I know that it's actually kind of like probably causing some PTSD in the room because we know that ads for politicians and whatnot cause all kinds of pain uh, because of how, um, yeah, just overcome by tragedy and grief we are over this. But apparently um, things are changing in, in, in our culture where we're done just tolerating this kind of rhetoric and we're starting to celebrate it. And I'm not convinced that that's a good thing. Now, those of you who are like artists or creatives or you're just like part of Gen Z or whatever, you're like, come on, man. Like mean tweets are clearly satire and it's actually meant to strip internet trolls of all of their power and to make light of all of the like toxicity in our culture. And I agree with you on that and that's actually my point. On a scale of light to dark, 280 character quips about what's wrong with celebrities is probably the least of our worries. 
There's really so much more that we could talk about. If you want to get a sense for how much we as a culture have become desensitized to this kind of rhetoric and how this means cruel-spirited stuff has become a part of the norm, all you'd have to do is show one of these videos of mean tweets to my parents who came of age in the 1960s and are really like pure-hearted people. If you watched them watch one of those videos and just saw their reaction, they would be horrified. They would be absolutely horrified. And the last couple of years, I've been speaking out about this toxicity in our culture. And um, I've been referring to it as like historic polarization in our culture right now. Um, Things about political ideology, what to do about the coronavirus, which lives matter and the state of racism in the West and like many other things. Side note, my main sort of frustration and my main commentary on all of this has not been like Governor Brown's position or agenda, which by the way has never been a secret, or MSNBC's take on whatever, or the virus, or Fox News's take on the Capitol riots or any of those things. My main frustration has been quite frankly, with the people of Jesus who've been so easily baited into a dumb fight and have so quickly abandoned our commitment to walk in the way of wisdom and generous sacrificial love. Now more than ever, we have to be like on the plot of God's mission to redeem and to save and to bring reconciliation and hope and joy and not take part in all of the mess. In fact, I should put it like this. We are called to love our neighbors, especially people, especially people on the opposing end of the ideological spectrum. That is Jesus's heart. Yeah, amen. Thank you, Geneva. (laughs) Amen. That is the heart of Jesus for our brothers and our sisters and people made in his image. But I have to say this, during my study and prayer over the last couple of weeks, I've come to the conclusion that I've been at least partly wrong in my assessment about our cultural moment. Go figure, I was wrong about something. Uh, You guys are not surprised. You're like, dude, you're wrong all the time. But uh, anyways, I came to this conclusion that I haven't been 100% correct in my assessment of our cultural moment. I've been operating under the assumption that it's our differences that are the root of the problem. Like humanity's differences, our competing values, our core beliefs, our versions of what is good and true. I've seen those differences as the, the, the root of all of the sort of toxicity and polarization in our world. Um, and then I've made many times the comments about how the powers that be, like algorithms and media companies and the kingdom of darkness and political figures sort of take those things and use it to their advantage and it spreads a lot of chaos. I still think that a lot of that is at least in part true, but I no longer believe that that's the root of the problem. The problem is actually a couple of things that we share in common, not what we have in difference with one another. The problem is um, not all across the lo- all, not all across the board, but in large part, we have a couple things in common. We're insisting on making our differences hostile. There's been a major uptick in hostility around difference of opinion, and 
we're placing the blame on what's wrong with our world on someone else. We're looking outward at people on the other side of the ideological spectrum or whatever you want to pick instead of looking inward at ourselves and how we may be contributing to the toxicity. So we're looking at someone with the opposing view as a part of the problem, and we're willing to burn bridges because of it. And I think that that's tragic, and I think from a heavenly perspective, we're making enemies out of people who Jesus loves. And we have to be clear thinking about this. We are making enemies out of people that Jesus loves, and so it's our job to instead think clearly, pray clearly, and have the right attitude and posture and heart to our world. So the passage that we just read, Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 6, again, it's another hard-hitting one. But Jesus, this is Jesus' sort of what I'm just going to call his palate cleanser for that culture of toxicity in the Western world. He's saying, listen, stop uh, just like uh, trying to remove the splinter from your brother's eye when you've got a glaring plank in your own. You're not seeing the situation clearly, and you need to first start with yourself. Don't live into that hypocrisy. Now, I, am, I carry the, the firm conviction that if uh, you and I would just take Jesus at his word, that there would be a lot of healing and reconciliation in our little corner of the planet that we occupy if we were to just take Jesus at his word seriously here and apply it to our lives. I realize that's kind of a big statement, but I intend to back it up. Let's hear Jesus out. Verse one says this, do not judge, judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And the measure that you use, it will be measured to you. So let's be clear about what Jesus is and isn't saying. Remember, Jesus throughout the whole sermon is absolutely making ethical judgments about what is right and about what is wrong. It's not an ambiguous sort of you do you kind of a message. And remember, he's gone on and on again and again, repeating himself about what he calls greater righteousness and following or obeying the Father fully from the heart. And what he's doing is he's advocating that you and I live wholly into his kingdom ethics, which includes all of the high highlights, purity of heart, enemy love, generosity to the poor, a commitment to biblical justice, and an all-around like humble way of serving our king. And all along the way, he's sort of critiquing the religious elites, the religious establishment, and the prideful hypocrites. All throughout the sermon, he's doing this. So the question sort of becomes like, well, what's going on then here in chapter 7, verse 1? Is he contradicting himself in what he's saying when he says, do not judge or you too will be judged? Isn't it true that Jesus all along throughout the sermon has been making ethical judgments? I think this is an important question. Short answer to that is no. And the reason why is it, comes, it all comes down to um, your sort of understanding or reading of that word judge here in verse 1. It's the Greek word krino or krino, depending on uh, your pronunciation of the Greek. And it means to separate, to pick out, to judge or sentence in like a judicial sense of the word. And uh, Luke has a very similar passage. In fact, Luke has a whole Sermon on the Mount in it as well. And in Luke's version of this line, he translates it a little bit different. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. 
So the warning against judging is not like you and I withholding godly discernment about what's good and what's evil. We're actually taught to do that. Jesus is teaching us to do that all along the way. It's warning us about casting judgment on other people. It's warning us against condemning other people and judging their hearts. So here's sort of the first, uh, excuse me, the first palate cleanser. Do not condemn others. Don't condemn other people. We need to be able to distinguish um, between like moral discernment. Like God cares deeply about who I am becoming. He cares about my sobriety. He cares about my sexuality. He cares about the words that I say and the deepening in my discipleship to Jesus and my core beliefs about who matters in the kingdom of God and every person's worth and my generosity to the poor and my commitment to biblical justice. He, we need to make sure that we understand and are able to discern that idea of moral discernment with condemnation of other people. They're getting it wrong. Like their heart must be not right. Something's going wrong with them. They're a part of the problem. They're not in the grace of God. He's wanting to, to differentiate and to distinguish between those two things. And if, to the person with a condemning heart, this is what Jesus says. He says, whoa, like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You're not in a position to judge other people fairly. Don't trust yourself to be someone else's judge. You don't know what's going on in their heart. You're not that wise. And be careful that you don't put yourself in the judge's seat because you are not going to like when that judgment that you judge with is pointed back at you. That's actually one of the main points of this passage. So, um, one of my favorite uh, passages of scripture right now is Isaiah chapter 55. It's talking all about like the coming king and the great sovereignty and power and authority of God in the world. And uh, this is what Isaiah 55 verse 8 says. For my thoughts, this is God speaking to humanity, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways than your thoughts and my thoughts than your thoughts. It's pretty safe to say that God knows what he's talking about. He's got power and authority. He's got all wisdom and I don't. So only God is capable of being a just judge. In fairness, I'm not and neither are you. So when it comes to like the condemnation and salvation of other human beings, we want to be able to trust the judge. And quite frankly, I'm just not trustworthy and neither are you. You've got to count us out. We don't know what's going on in people's hearts. Jonathan Pennington, who's a scholar on the subject, he says, the whole business of judging persons is in God's hands for he alone knows the secrets of men's heart. And this does not mean that we are not to use all the moral insight that we possess in order to discover what is right and wrong, but that we are to confine ourselves to that field and refrain from passing judgment on other persons. That's, that's the distinction that we need to get. And I'm pretty sure that we all agree up until this point. I doubt that there would be anybody here in this room who would like stop me and raise their hand and be like, actually, you know what? I think I would make a great judge of people's hearts. Like count me. Like, there's no takers, right? Like no one actually is volunteering for that job for good reason. We're not, we're not built for it. But if we were to go outside 
this morning and do a little straw poll of pedestrians walking down the street on Newport Avenue. And we asked them, hey, do Christians make you feel loved or judged? How would the results be? Judged. It wouldn't look pretty. (laughs) I've talked about this before, and I think I have kind of a unique outlook or perspective on this because of the fact that I'm a pastor. Uh, most people that I meet in, in the world are, are, are like really kind and polite and happy to chat until they find out what I do for a living and then everything changes. The attitude changes. People feel really <laughs> uncomfortable and some people are quite frankly looking for like the quickest way to exit the conversation. Like how do I end this chat with this rando pastor guy who's probably judging me. And I think deep down, we kind of all wish that weren't the case, but we all kind of get it. And we understand that historically, people who hold my position in our culture are not universally known as like really gracious or understanding people. The pastors in our culture who are known on a public scale are known for the wrong reasons. Either the like hypocrisy that Jesus is teaching about here or the judgmental spirit and the condemnation. And um, this is a complex thing. Um, in fact, uh, when I get the chance, I don't always, but when I get the chance to go a little bit further in conversation with people, um, people almost always describe their fear. They actually fear me, fear that I might judge their life choices. And I might be condemning them in my mind and in my heart. And it's tragic and it's sad. I've literally had dozens, if not more, like a hundred or more chats uh, with people over the years. And again, I think this is a really complex thing. I'm not trying to like make a complex issue really simple. Um, but I have lots of friends of mine who are pastors who would just like rather avoid the topic altogether. So they're like, yeah, I just work for a nonprofit or something like that. They want to avoid, avoid the topic because being a pastor has a lot of social implications in our culture. And I understand that too. But personally, I feel a bit of, of responsibility to change people's perception. Not people's perception of me or of the church necessarily or of the office of the pastor. I just want to change people's perception about Jesus. So in these conversations, like, I am not, um, like, trying to defend the church or, like, argue people into the kingdom of God or, like, manipulate people into liking me or something like that. Really, I'm just trying to share the grace that I have received from Jesus. That's it. I just want to pass along the love, forgiveness, grace, compassion, and just genuine care that Jesus has for all humankind that I have freely received. It's my job to just hopefully pass it along. And in my experience, it's like totally possible, not just possible, it's like almost imminent that we are able to change people's perception about Jesus. And that's exactly what Alpha is all about, by the way. Like, we love Alpha around here. And raise your hand if you've been a part of Alpha this round. Um, yeah, yeah, like a good handful of you guys. It's amazing. We had about 45 people at the Hum Tap Room this last Tuesday night. And it's exactly for this reason. Just sort of raising people or lifting people's perception of Jesus slowly over the course of a couple of months, hopefully that they may realize that Jesus is, is in fact king.
This is what sharing the good news should always be about. It's not about casting judgment or letting people know that they're condemned. It's actually the opposite of that. It's just passing along what I have freely received, what you have freely received from Jesus. Um, And this is what I hope we could be known as or known by in our community. How rad would that be if the people of Jesus were known as accepting, loving, caring? That would be incredible, wouldn't it? It would be like we're a bunch of Jesus people are walking around, which is exactly what we're supposed to be. Leave judgment to God. He's the only one who can be trusted to do it fairly. Now, I need to um, confess to you something because I've been thinking about this a lot. I've been praying about this a lot. And um, I have to be honest about where I'm weak. So not passing judgments on non-Christians is becoming easier and easier for me. It just is. Because I think I get it. It's simple in my mind. I'm just wanting to hopefully change people's perception about Jesus a little bit. My expectations are just like adjusted to what that might be. And in most cases, people leave with a slightly better impression of Jesus and hopefully the church than they came in with. And I just consider that a win. But when I read this passage from Jesus, it's actually becoming harder and harder for me to be in committed, loving relationships with other Christians who, in my opinion, are a part of the problem. And I could go into detail about what I think those problems are, but again, I think that would be missing the point of this passage. The point of this passage is that I'm not a good judge of people's hearts. I shouldn't trust my judgment of other people's hearts. So it would be dishonest of me to come up here and like put a smile on and act like I'm crushing it in every area of life when I clearly am not. And again, I I think I'm like sensing the temperature in the room and I think there's a lot of us who feel the same way. Like, oh my gosh, the Jesus people kind of went off the rails these last couple of years. We're known for the wrong things, sadly. And there's a lot of truth to that. I think it's okay to have firmly held convictions and beliefs, but... I do not have permission from God to judge someone else's heart or to select who I will love. Love is unearned in the kingdom of God. So being a Jesus person means not casting judgment on my brothers and sisters. I think acknowledging that was a little bit freeing for me. And my hope is that by me admitting that to you, we can all sort of like hold one another accountable that we're actually not going to participate in a lot of negative talk or defaming people either privately or on the internet. That's not who we are. We're known for who, what we're for and we're known for the attitude and the disposition of generous love. Um, second little palate cleanser. Oh, by the way, are you guys with me on that? Okay, that would be awesome if it was not just me and uh, it was you guys too. <laughs> you validated how I'm feeling right now. That was nice of you. Second palate cleanser. Let's evaluate things fairly. As much as we can, let's evaluate things fairly. We just admitted that we don't have complete wisdom like God does. But we are in a position to make concrete decisions about what is good and what is evil, what is right and what is true and what is a lie. That is part of our 
calling, if you will, or vocation as Jesus' people is to be able to distinguish between moral convictions and what's good and, and evil. But we need to do that fairly without casting judgment on people. From the way, same way that you judge others, you will be judged. And the measure with which you use, it will be measured to you. Okay, so that's kind of like a, it's kind of like hard for me to even like articulate that or say that, but Jesus has something very important for us to understand. Let me just summarize it like this. Jesus is dealing with your and my basic human weakness. We all share that we tend to be unfairly critical of people that we disagree with, and we tend to be naively uncritical of ourselves. This is a basic human weakness, and we see it all over the place. It's actually super easy to see in like political spaces or in some spaces that we're, that we're far from. We can easily see people taking hypocritical shots at one another, but the reality is that we all kind of share this. Some temperaments and some personalities more than others, we, be, we become hypercritical of people that we disagree with, and we tend to be giving ourselves all kinds of passes on our behavior, like all the time. Let me just give you two examples. I could give you like 50, but let me just give you two examples. If you have more than one kid, you know exactly what I'm talking about. The other day, I'm driving my daughter and my son to school. It's like 7.45 in the morning. I'm just like thinking about what I've got to do at work that day, and I'm sort of zoning out until all of a sudden there is violence and tears and loud shouting in the back row of our car. And I'm like trying to figure out what's going on. It takes me about five minutes. I calm them all down just to, just to like stop crying. It's like a five minute thing or whatever. And then it's my job as dad to try and figure out what actually happened and maybe there's a consequence that's needed or whatever. And so I start with my daughter who's nine and she's like, I am 100% innocent in this situation. And Judah, my son, is 100% guilty in this situation. I go, well, Judah, what do you have to say? I am 100% innocent in this situation. And Isabel, my sister, is 100% guilty. We have this tendency to be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm like, my behavior is perfectly reasonable, is all good, my heart is clean and pure, and the other person is completely and totally to blame. That's one example, by the way, we made it to school, uh, had to drop them off. One of them was still crying. It wasn't my most proud moment, but uh, we survived it. Um, example number two, married couples. I wish we could say that we've outgrown this and we're more mature now, but the reality is we do the same thing, everybody. We really do. Um, uh, there's a really kind of tragic story uh, not too long ago here in the church between two people who had a really serious disagreement. And um, I was sort of trying to mediate. And so I'm sitting with one person and I'm trying to ask all the questions and try and discern what's going on in the situation. I go, okay, thank you. I'm sorry, pray with them. Go to the other person. All the same things. And I go back and forth a handful of times. And the sad reality was the more that we talked, the more people's stories diverge, the more horrible the other person sounds, and the more like pure and godly and loving I make myself out to be. The only thing I know for certain in that situation and in a lot of similar situations is that no one is as innocent as they like to say that they are, and the other person's not as bad either. And we need to be the kinds of people 
who try and evaluate things fairly and especially not judge someone else's heart. Um, Jesus warns against it in some serious ways. I wish there was more time we could talk about all this, but there just isn't. So um, just for your reflection, as your friend, as a pastor here, in like all respect and all love, not coming from a high horse in any way, be careful when the problem is always someone else's fault. You know those people? When they describe the brokenness in their relationships and the things that are wrong in life and they're acting perfectly innocently and everyone else is treating them so unfairly. Be careful when that's you. When you're the one who's saying the problem lies with someone else and never lies with me. And again, I think we are uh, hopefully a well-adjusted, emotionally-type community, and hopefully we are seeing these things kind of clearly, but Jesus has a different emphasis he wants us to focus on. Rather than casting blame and putting things on others, he wants us to look inward, do some self-examination, have some self-awareness to what's actually going on inside of us, because I think Jesus' point here is that we're the only ones that we can control anyways. And so it doesn't do a whole lot of good to cast stones and judgment towards others when in reality, all we really have control over is our own heart. And um, that's what Jesus is getting at here. Um, the, the, what's at stake if we get this wrong is it really erodes your family. It erodes the love that you share in your community. It erodes the Christian love that we're meant to have. And so uh, we, we, we can't really afford to get this wrong. I think we really have got to get this right. So um, there's this excerpt from Romans chapter 14 and 15. Paul is sort of going on and on with the early church between like what our, he calls like the mature and the immature followers of Jesus. They're having all kinds of disputes about what was permissible for them to eat and drink. It was about alcohol. It was about food sacrificed idols. And so uh, Paul is writing to sort of help them see it all through. And I just pulled out a few of the highlights and I thought I'd read them over you now. He says, why do you pass judgment on your brother or sister or why do you despise? your brother or sister, for we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. Therefore, let us no longer pass judgment on one another, for the kingdom of God is not judging others about food and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Let us then pursue what makes peace, and for mutually building up welcome one another just as Christ has welcomed you. Come on. Be careful when the problem is always somebody else. And remember, we get to extend the same love and grace and mercy and forgiveness that we have received from Jesus. We get to pass it along and share it with our sisters and brothers. Again, not coming from a high horse. Absolutely somebody who struggles with, you, with this as you do as well. Um, okay, this is second to last thought. And then we're going to come to the table of communion and... Um, We're going to sing some more today too, but um, hang with me because this is really important. He says um, in verse three, he's making this point, uh, trade a judgmental spirit for a heart of forgiveness. You remember that phrase, you'll be judged in the same way that you judge? 
Well, all of the really thoughtful scholars that I've been able to compile and, and read on this, there's about six of them, and they all, 100% of them, agree that this verse, don't judge lest you be judged, um, is connected to a verse from chapter 6, specifically in the Lord's Prayer, verses 12 through 15. Forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your Father in heaven will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins either. This is a heavy kind of thing. It's really tricky to sort of navigate. What Jesus is not saying is that you need to somehow work your way into heaven and earn your forgiveness. What he is saying is that the evidence or the, um, the first sort of evidence that you are, like you understand what forgiveness is all about for yourself is that you're able to generously dispense it to other people who've wronged you. This is an evidence of your true faith and your forgiveness is that you're able to forego judgment, forego unforgiveness for the sake of giving mercy. And um, you might remember the, uh, the, the parable that Jesus gives of the, uh, of the um, ungrateful servant who's forgiven his debt but then denies forgiving the debts of the people who owe him money. And, uh, and Jesus' point is like, that's just an example of somebody who doesn't get what I've done for them. If you get what Jesus has done for you and if you've internalized it and if you've received it, then you return that embrace of giving that generous love back to people and that generous forgiveness. And I realize that for some of us, we've got some serious hurts in our life and I'm not suggesting that it's easy or it's a trite superficial thing that you just say that I'm sorry and you get over it. I'm saying this is a lifelong journey and process where we set aside uh, judgmentalism and a heart of condemnation and instead we take up Jesus' heart of forgiveness for others. And this is something that we hopefully will be marked by. So let's keep, let's keep moving because we need to wrap up. Um, Jesus gives us the metaphor um, of the plank in our eye versus the splinter in our brother's eye. And essentially what Jesus is saying here is that, listen, dude, you don't see the world as objectively as you think you do. He's saying you've got something that's clouding your judgment. You've got something that's clouding your sight, and it's your own sinfulness. It's your own sinful behavior. It's the part of you that still hasn't been formed into the image of Jesus. We all have it, but don't act as though you see the world objectively because the reality is that we don't. We don't see ourselves, we don't see others, and we don't see the world clearly. I just admitted to you at least twice in this one sermon where I've gotten it wrong in the past, somewhat recently. The reality is that I'm still very much in process and I'm recognizing the more that, the deeper I get into my discipleship to Jesus, the more, real, the more I realize that I can't always trust what I think I'm seeing in the world. I need to instead trust in him and trust in the Lord. This is what scholars call the fog of self-justification. Everything is right in my own eyes. To a man, everything that he says or does makes complete sense to him and it, it, he's justified in his actions. The reality is much more complicated than that. And Jesus is saying the first step to you actually bringing the kind of peace and reconciliation into the world that the world needs right now is to instead of casting stones or trying to point out the speck in someone else's eye is to look inward at your own stuff. 
deep within the consciousness of your psyche um, and deep within yourself to start the process or the journey of self-examination. So this is a call um, to, uh, this is so we don't see things objectively, and this is a call to self-awareness. Um, Pete Scazzaro, who wrote the great book, The Emotionally Healthy Church, turned me on to a phrase that I um, have used hundreds of times since, and that's the phrase of the shadow side. There is a part of my personality, there's a part of the way I move through the world that isn't completely clear to me. It's clear to my wife. It's clear to most of you, if you know me well. But the reality is there's parts of myself, specifically the deformed parts of myself, that I don't fully see. My wife and I were talking to a friend and mentor and counselor of ours, and we were talking about some of the communication issues that we're having. We've been married 12 years. I'm the most blessed man on planet Earth. I don't say that as like a cliche thing. I genuinely believe Grace is the most amazing woman on planet Earth, and I'm so grateful that I get to be married to her almost 12 years now. But we have communication issues. And so we've been talking with some people about it, and uh, I was sharing about this one situation that in my mind was crystal clear what had happened. And I was rattling off to him. I was like, yeah. And then I just basically felt, thought to myself, am I the only crazy person who thinks this way? And then I kept making my point and I was just like going off. And he stopped me and cut me off. And he said, yes, by the way, if that was a question, you are the crazy person. You're not seeing it clearly at all. And it was just like kind of a gut punch and I really needed to hear it. Um, but it was just an indication that sometimes uh, we think we're seeing a situation clearly or we think our heart is in the right place and we assume someone else isn't. And the reality is we just got a plank and we can't see clearly. So rather than starting to point out what's wrong in my life, which... As I stand before you guys now, it's like, well, that's dumb because she is far more in the image of Jesus than I am. Rather than point out the flaws in others, what if we instead looked introspectively at ourselves and how much more whole would our world be if rather than sending out vulgar, like mean tweets at people we don't even know on the internet if we were to look more introspectively at the areas of our life that still need formed into the image of Jesus. And that's what the practices of Jesus are are all about. So this is a call uh, to self-awareness. It's also a call to repentance. It's a call to repentance. This has got a negative connotation, but Jesus is essentially saying, hey, listen, your attitude of self-righteousness and uh, self-justification and judgmentalism, it leads to pride. But, um, but repentance, it leads to real true humility. It leads to forgiveness and mercy. And the reality is that we, um, it's, a, it's kind of a Christian cliche, but we, want, we need to be the change that we want to see in the world. That is a cliche for a reason. That's a really good point. And those who I deeply respect, the one common trait that they all share is humility. I have all kinds of mentors and all kinds of people that I enjoy reading and learning from. The only ones that I can find I can really grow from are the ones who are genuinely humble. And I think it's a, it's a character trait of any mature disciple of Jesus. It, like, 
being introspective, it, um, it really does humble us because we recognize what's beneath the surface in our hearts. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who many of you guys know, is um, an early 20th century German theologian who is instrumental in helping uh, rescue a lot of Jews um, from being uh, uh, captured by Hitler and, and killed in one of the concentration camps during World War II. He actually got a job to teach at a seminary here in the States right sort of at the dawn of, um, the, of, of World War II. And he took that job and was at his post and felt convicted by the Holy Spirit and realized that he had not spoken out against the evil of Hitler and his regime enough. And his countrymen were blindly following Hitler into complete genocide. And he was convicted enough by that to leave his post and to go back to the church of Germany and to give his life literally to the cause of correcting that wrong. And you know that phrase that has become so familiar, the only necessity, Necessity for evil to prevail is for good men to do nothing. That is a quote originally from Dietrich Bonhoeffer that was sort of like deeply written into um, this manifesto that he wrote, which was a corporate confession that he and other leaders of the church had failed to confront the evil of Hitler. And uh, he was coming clean about that. And that heart of repentance and that heart of humility birthed incredible fruit to the point that you and I are still talking about him today. And many of those books are mainstream and they should be because he knew what it was to actually live into those values of mercy, forgiveness, and generous love. And that's who we want to be too. Last thing and then we're going to pray. It's a call to mercy and acceptance. Once we get our eyes off of criticizing others and we start to recognize that we still have some work to do within ourselves and that God is gracious and merciful to us, we tend to be a lot more gracious and merciful to the people around us. I want to end with a story. Um, a couple weeks ago, there's this guy who came into the church on a random, like I think it was a Wednesday or something like that. I'm the only person here. I've got a huge list of things that I've got to do. And I'm sort of a task-oriented person, so I like to be efficient when I'm at work. And this guy walks in, and he admits to me he's addicted to meth. It was actually pretty easy to notice because he had very few teeth left. And he was just... Um, like houseless and smelled and was really rough around the edges and stuff like that. And he was asking for some support and some help. And I was trying to kind of get this guy's story, see how we could help and everything else. And by the way, like I had had so many different people um, over the last couple of weeks who just kind of wandered into the church with the same sort of thing. And I was starting to grow just tired of it. Because again, I got a lot of work to do and um, here this guy is just asking for a handout and whatever else. I kind of had that judgmental spirit towards this guy. On top of that, he was, he was kind of like um, hostile towards me a little bit. He's like on the one hand asking for help but on the other hand, he's being very rude. And there was a few moments where I thought he wanted to hurt me. And there was a guy that actually Matt and I were talking to about a week prior to that who it looked very clear that he was going to hurt us. He fortunately did not. But uh, so, it, so anyways, I just kind of had that in the back of my mind. And I'm also like getting ready to teach on enemy love. And if you know my position on that, 
uh, I believe in non-retaliation. So I'd made the decision in my mind, since there's no one else here in the church, it's just me sitting there, that if this guy decides he wants to harm me, I'm just going to, um, like, hopefully just guide him towards the door, but I'm not going to fight back. So I've got all of these things going on in my mind, and deep down, I'm just angry, just upset. I just wish this guy would get out of my face. And so while all this is going on, I just asked the Lord, I was like, God, like, I know you have compassion for this guy. He's a human in your image, but I have none. Zero empathy, zero compassion. He's just like an annoyance in my day. And then my prayer was simple. It was like, God, will you please help me to have your heart for this guy? And I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, ask him about his dad. Ask him about his dad. And so I sort of cut him off. I said, dude, like, sounds like you've kind of had a rough go. Could you tell me about where you came from? Talk to me about your family. What was your dad like? And he just stopped in his tracks, started weeping. His whole countenance changed. He started to tell me about the very, very rough upbringing that he had, about his dad who was abusive and drug addicted and beat his mom and was very angry and took it out on him and his siblings. And there is most likely, we didn't get into it, but most likely some sexual abuse there too. His dad had been in jail for over 20 years. He hadn't seen or talked to him since and he harbored nothing but hate and resentment towards his dad. And something fundamentally changed in my heart towards that guy. Because I think he was God's gift to me. I think God was revealing to me that all it would have taken for my life to look like his would have been a different father. Maybe a couple of other things outside of my control and I would have been in a similar position as this guy. And it's not like he doesn't have responsibility in all of his crap. I know this is a nuanced conversation. I'm not interested in having it right now. All that matters is that you cease to condemn and instead embody God's heart of mercy and compassion for the hurting. Nothing I wanted to get done got done that day. Instead, we went to go grab lunch, heard a lot more of his story. I can't say I had much of an impact. I doubt he even remembers me. But I did leave that conversation with just one thing that I hope hit home, which was, you know what, man? Sounds like you've had a rough go in life. And if you remember anything from our time together, I just hope that you remember that God really, really does love you. And I say this sincerely. I, I That guy and others like him are God's gift to me. I think... He reminds me, they, they remind me that my judgmentalism has no place in the kingdom of God, that my condemnation of other people and judging of people's hearts has no place in the kingdom of God. 
And my, my sole responsibility is to instead look inward at myself and see where God might want to change and reshape my heart for him and to just share the love and mercy and compassion that he shared me. So I just want to challenge you with that. Just invite you to look a little bit at your own heart. The wrong thing for you to take away from this message is like I'm up here wagging my finger telling you how much you need to do better. Like that would be missing the point. The point is like that we actually have an invitation right this minute to actually shift our condemnation, our judgment of others, and instead look at where God might be asking us to repent. And repentance isn't a negative thing in the kingdom of God because what immediately follows it is freedom and forgiveness and just more of God's grace. So you don't have anything to fear when it comes to seeking repentance. which is dealing honestly with ourselves. So will you guys stand with me? And I just want to invite the Holy Spirit to come and to, to sort of invade the space and invade our consciousness right now. This is something we do quite often just in response to the word of God. One of the most common things we see in the scripture in response to a message from Jesus is let those who have ears, let them hear. And that has much more to do with actual practice than it does with just knowing the right things about God. And so what I wanna do now is just encourage you, if you're comfortable, to open your hands and we're just going to pray the historic ancient prayer, come Holy Spirit. God, our minds have been filled with podcasts and entertainment and work emails and all kinds of responsibilities. Some of us have sort of even been in and out of focus this morning. We thank you for your grace. And we just pray that right now, this moment, you would have our full attention and you would make us aware of your spirit right here in this room and in us. Before the gathering, Brittany had a picture of one person here today who just needs to receive um, probably salvation for the first time. And if that's you, I just want to challenge you to go to the back of the room, the prayer hands. Steve or Hannah would be happy to pray over you, usher you, welcome you into the family of God. Another thing we want to do right now is just ask the Holy Spirit to show us where we may need to repent. Again, the line that keeps coming to my mind, something I said a few minutes ago, be careful when the problem is always someone else. If you notice that critical self or condemning spirit in you, just confess it. It's like a cleansing thing that God does right now, right here, as you confess your sin. He cleanses you, He forgives you. 
There's no judgment. There's no shame. Remember? That's what we just read. There's only grace and forgiveness and mercy and compassion. So notice your, your, your uh, weight lifting off of your shoulders. Notice yourself feeling a bit lighter in the presence of God. I notice him is coming alongside of you and giving you more of his peace. Holy Spirit, I pray over my sisters right now and my brothers in the name of Jesus. I pray that that freedom of confessing sin and repenting of our judgmentalism would just become real right now for us. And I pray for those who have walked in with such heavy burdens, they feel like this is their last ditch effort. They're gonna give you one more shot. You would just be here right now, God, and would your love overwhelm? And would your great power to heal overwhelm? Come, Holy Spirit. You guys, we're gonna stay in this same exact posture the same exact sort of rhythm, if you will, of worship as we respond by singing. I also just want you to know that um, my friends Hannah and Steve are at the back of the room and they would love to pray for you and for any reason. There's no negative stigma here at this church, not in this space. This is a safe place. This is a kingdom of God place. And it's only natural for us to go um, to King Jesus and receive deliverance, healing, help from him. So during these next few songs, if you need prayer for any reason, go back and see them. They'd love to pray for you. And then also, um, we're going to anchor ourselves even deeper in the reality of Jesus' sacrifice so that we could have this life that we're talking about here. And that's by coming to the table of communion. So during this next song, as Danny is leading us, come forward, grab the bread and the cup, and then go back to your seat. And then we'll take it as one church. Lauren's gonna lead us here in a moment. And then we also just want to lift up our hearts in praise to King Jesus. Um, we can celebrate all kinds of things. We can enjoy all kinds of things. We can have all kinds of hobbies, but we can only worship one thing. And my strong recommendation is that we would worship King Jesus, him alone. He's worthy of it all. So um, as we come forward for prayer, as we come forward for communion, let's give praise to King Jesus. We love you, God. You're good. And we pray all these things in your name.